Good morning. Welcome to the uh, Letter to Philippi live class. Uh, sorry we it's a little late start today, but uh, we'll be going through our uh, our uh, study today of the book of, of uh, Philippians. We'll be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, as we get into the Messianic hymn, the, the central the central part the the of the book book uh, Philippians letter to to Philippi, and we will uh, we will be getting started on that soon. And again, I apologize. We had trouble getting on on face on Instagram Live today, but uh, we are. I will uh, upload the video, so uh, it's still a work in progress to get the Instagram Live going. But we will have the we are on Facebook Live, on YouTube, and streaming live on our website, lettertophilippi.org. So, as I said, welcome to the to the uh, Letter to Philippi Live. Class, we, we, this is an initiative of lettertophilippi.org, a new Messianic Jewish theological and biblical studies organization, and which I recently started. And I will be your teacher. My name is Sean Imsley. And uh, again, we'll be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7 today. And uh, we will be getting started on that. And if you want any more information on Letter to Philippi, go to lettertophilippi.org, and you can find out more about our organization. You can watch videos of past uh, classes on Philippians. You can uh, read about what we believe, what we are looking to do. You can leave a prayer request. We want to be praying for those people who are participating and learning with us. And for those who... Uh, are able. We appreciate uh, your financial support by making a donation, as this is a a new work, and you know we are funded solely by those who uh, who participate and uh, appreciate our work. So, uh, so we now are starting into uh, Philippians two, verses six through seven, and verse six reads. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be possessed by force. So this begins the full the full part of the uh, the messianic hymn, the hymn to Messiah. In in this verse, his opening verse, Paul was beginning his teaching on Yeshua's emergence in the world as a humble servant, the highest example of humility that Paul addresses in his letter. As we said throughout the teaching, one of the one of the main themes that runs through the whole book of Philippians is that of humility, that that we are to to follow the humble example of Yeshua, our righteous Messiah, and in so doing, we model Him and we and we model model the one God of Israel, as Yeshua is our representative. So throughout the book. The the topic of humility comes up many times, as we'll see. See here, we have the highest example of humility, which is Messiah Yeshua, 
later in this chapter, we'll be looking at Timothy and Epaphroditus, two men who served along with Paul. He also uses examples of humility. And uh, in both chapter one and chapter three, we see we we see Paul giving other in chapter one, we see Paul giving a positive, a positive example of humility of his life and his example. In chapter three, we'll see what what Dr. David Stern said is a negative example of humility, that being pride, which is is confronted by Paul. There's those who are coming coming to the community with pride over their status. And uh, Paul confronts that pride, which is the which as as we see is the the direct opposite of humility is pride. So we see seeing this 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 beginning Paul 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 is talking about the humble coming into our world of Yeshua our Messiah. Craig Keener who is a, a noted Bible teacher and scholar, has noted that some scholars see a contrast between Adam, who was created in God's image, which we read in Genesis chapter 1, as a human that sought divine knowledge and status by eating the forbidden fruit in Eden. And Yeshua, our righteous Messiah, who is eternally divine and came into our world humbly as a human, Whereas Adam, the first man, was a human who desired to become like God. And in that we see his, his failure and his, his act of, of rebellion, act of sin that caused separation between him and God. And contrast that with the second Adam, Yeshua, our Messiah, who was eternally divine but he, but he came in humility into our world as a human, as Adam was a man who sought to be God. Yeshua was divine, was, was God in, in the heavens who became a human and became, went from the divine status to the status of, of being in our world as a human. Novation, a third century, CE Christian theologian, which wrote, this is, was cited in the ancient Christian commentary on scripture, which is, which is an amazing collection of what the early, earliest Yeshua followers, the earliest Christian thinkers wrote and thought about Yeshua. And Novation wrote, if, if, if Messiah were only a man, he would have been said to have been in the image of God not in the form of God. We know that humanity was made in the image of image, not the form of God. So innovation is bringing out that here in speaking of, of, of that, that Yeshua came into our world, that he was not just, not just in the image of God, which humanity is, was made by God in his image. Yeshua was in the form of God, that he was not just an image of God, but he was actually part and parcel of who the one God of Israel is, that he is, he is a part of the triune deity. 
God the Father, God the Son, and the Rock of Kodesh. Yeshua's pre-incarnation status, his status before he came into our world, before he was born in Bethlehem as a baby, was and remained divine in the form of God. So Yeshua, before he came into our world, was in the form of God as fully divine Yeshua became a man in contrast to his being just a human in the image of God on a divine mission. So as a human, Yeshua was in the image of God like other humans, but he was also he was also in the form of God. He was was the fully divine son who came into our world. In keeping with this the letter theme of humility. Yeshua set aside his place in glory to come into the world as the greatest example of humility, going from the height of divinity to becoming a human. Becoming human, as we'll see, all, see later in verse 7, assuming the lowest form of human, of humanity, a slave who will be executed on the Roman stake on the cross. So not only does, does he come into our world humbly as, as a baby, he will grow up to, to live his life in humility and die the death of a slave, the death of the Roman stake, the Roman cross, that he would, he would die the death of the lowest of society. He came into the world as a baby in the lowest, lowest place, and he was to live out his life and die the death the most humiliating death, the death reserved for slaves on the Roman cross. As a divine son, as a divine son, Yeshua came into our world as a slave on a singular mission to bring redemption to the world by his death on the cross, demonstrating the highest level of humility by willingly giving himself to service on behalf of those he came to seek and save. Although as Messiah, Yeshua had all the full rights to all that is divine in his incarnation, he did not seize his power, or as it says here, possessed it by force. But he willingly died as a man without exploiting his divine nature. Although Yeshua still had the full rights to all of his divine power and glory, he did not seize on this power or possess it by force, but he willingly died as a man without exploiting his divine nature. The pre-existence of a divine Messiah was an established belief in Judaism, which can be seen in the Tanakh, most, most notably in the servant songs of Isaiah, especially Isaiah 52.13 with 53.12. The, the suffering servant psalm, psalm of the, uh, of the, the well-known 53rd chapter of Isaiah. In the Talmud, we also see that the, that the pre-existence of the Messiah was part of the earlier rabbinic thought. In Pesachim 54a in the Bavli, we read, Seven things were created before the world was made, and these are they. 
Torah, Repentance, the Garden of Eden, Gehenna, the Throne of Glory, the House of the Sanctuary, and the Name of the Messiah. Of the Name of the Messiah, His name shall endure forever and has existed before the sun. Referencing Psalm 72:17. So we see that the eternal existence of the Messiah was considered by our rabbis and understood here in this section here from, from uh, Tractate Pesachim, 54a, where we see that, that the name of the Messiah has as, as an internal status, that it was from the beginning, before the world was created, the name of the Messiah was known. Our rabbis listed seven things that pre-existed the creation of the world. The seventh being the name of the Messiah, which comes which comes from Psalm 17, which reads in full, May his name endure forever, his name be known as long as a son. May people bless themselves in him, may all nations call him happy. So we see that this understanding of the, the Messiah being before the creation of the world, it was, was established in Jewish thought, both in the Tanakh that we read in the servant songs and also, also in the, the Talmud. In verse six, Paul speaks plainly and without explanation about the preexistence of Yeshua in line with established Jewish thought concerning the preexistence of the Messiah. And much like the opening of Genesis 1, where God is presented as the creator of all things, here Paul makes clear his deep understanding and core theological belief that Yeshua is the preexistent Son of God, who was the source of the creation of the world. In this, we see that in this letter to the people of Philippi, Paul, Paul in this in this thing is bringing out this core belief of the early Messianic community that Yeshua of Nazareth was more than just a human Messiah, but he was the divine Messiah who came into the world. He was the pre-existent Son of God, the very source of the creation of the world. Before the world was created, he was there involved in the creation of the world. And this is our, our Yeshua that we honor. And this is the Yeshua that Paul is making clear. And as I said, said there is belief that, this, that these verses here, verse 6 through 11, were taken from a previously written liturgical piece, a song to, the, to Yeshua that was part of the worship of the Messianic Jewish community in, in Yerushalayim, that Paul took, took this familiar song, this earliest Messianic Jewish, Jewish uh, praise song and, and hymn to the Messiah and translated it from Aramaic into, into Greek. But we, and, and in that we see that, that, that whether, whether it was, it was of Pauline origin that he wrote these words or if he was bringing out words that were already familiar and were part of the liturgy of the Jewish community, that there was an early understanding of the divine nature of Yeshua. It was not until, until later church councils, as many modern scholars say, that, that 
Yeshua was acknowledged as Messiah here in the the middle of the first century and not waiting till Constantine in the fourth century of the common era. Well before Nicaea, Yeshua was understood and understood, and understood by the Jewish followers of, of Yeshua, by Jews who understood that their faith in the one God was primary. They understood that Yeshua was in some mystical way, some way that we can't fully understand in our finite minds, was one with the one God of Israel. And that is there is only one God. Yeshua shares in that one God. We can see here Paul speaking of the presence of Yeshua as the source of creation of the cosmos. In his, in his correspondence with the Messianic community in Corinth, Paul wrote, Yet for us there is one God the Father, from whom all things come, and one Lord Yeshua the Messiah, through whom were created all things, and through whom we have our being. Those are powerful words. Let me read them again. Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things come, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Yeshua the Messiah, through whom were created all things, through whom we have our being. As we've seen in the Talmud, we read earlier in Pesachim 54a, Paul here places Yeshua the Messiah into the creation of the cosmos. The one who entered humbly into our world as part of creation was the one who was the source of all creation. The Jewish traditions relating to Enoch demonstrate that the belief in a divine messianic figure was understood and part of the Jewish understanding and expectations. In 1 Enoch 37 through 71, we see the word Mashiach, Messiah twice in reference to a heavenly transcendent figure. In this we can see the eternal nature of the Messiah was a well understood belief among the early Yeshua followers of Philippi and elsewhere, given that those, those beliefs were a part of the first century second temple era belief system about the Messiah, the understanding of a divine Messiah, a divine with a, a, heaven, a heavenly figure that became a part of the of our world was a part of the, the, the Jewish thought of the Second Temple period. Pauler puts forth what is known as a high Christology. High Christology meaning a high understanding of the place of Yeshua as as Lord and Messiah, that he understood Yeshua as being one with the one God of Israel. This high Christology means that, that there's a clear understanding and a clear recognition that Yeshua is the divine Messiah, that he is the one God of Israel who came into our world as a baby and who gave his life for atonement on the Roman cross, was resurrected from the dead, ascended to the Father, and will soon, as we will see in later in, in this hymn, his great, great acknowledgement by all of the creative order, both seen and unseen, will acknowledge the Lordship of Yeshua, Messiah.
So as I said, this this called in technical term in academia called high Christology, this understanding of the etern eternal divine nature of Yeshua that he bore even before his birth into our world. An early high Christology with the earliest messianic community can be seen from the belief in the divine Messiah. The Messiah is God man based in a Jewish tradition grounded in the prophecies of Daniel. David Byoran, who was a, a uh, scholar at uh, Berkeley and a brilliant, brilliant biblical Jewish biblical scholar that, that, that has written on, on the Jewish, Jewish nature of Yeshua and on the understanding of Yeshua in the early, among the early Jewish followers of Yeshua. He wrote wrote this. These are these are powerful. This is, this is coming from from a Jewish scholar who's who's not not a Messianic Jew, but a, a Jewish scholar who understood stands the way that Yeshua was perceived and understood by the earliest Messianic community, and he and he gives this these powerful words from his his book on the Jewish Jesus. I submit that it is impossible to understand the gospel only if both Jesus and the Jews around him held to a high Christology, whereby the claim to Messiahship was also a claim to being a divine man. Were not the case, we would be very hard-pressed to understand the extremely hostile reaction of Jesus on the part of Jewish leaders who did not accept his claims. Let me read that again. I submit that it is impossible to understand the gospel only if both Jesus and the Jews around him held to a high Christology, whereby the claim to Messiahship was also a claim to being a divine man. Were it not the case, we would be very hard-pressed to understand the extremely hostile reaction to Jesus on the part of Jewish leaders who did not accept his claim. So Boyarin here in his way, he understands the gospel accounts and understands the life of Yeshua, the response by the Jewish followers of Yeshua and those who were who were hostile and and uh, detractors to Yeshua. That he says that it cannot understand both the way the Jewish followers of Yeshua understood and, and followed Yeshua. And why those who rejected him rejected him outside of the concept that in Yeshua being claimed as the Messiah, that it meant that he was a divine man, that he was he was the God of Israel entering into our world. Only only that being understood that the Messiah was a divine was a divine character, was a one who entered the world from, from glory and into our world. He says you can't. It, it in his way of looking at, you can't understand the gospel accounts. Why these Jews came to to devote their lives to Yeshua, and why those who were hostile to him were hostile to them, unless it was clear at that time that the Messiah was to have a divine origin and to be a divine man entering our world. The scholars debate the early nature of the belief. In the eternal divine nature of Yeshua among his earliest followers, and credit to the later development of the Council of Nicaea in 325 of the Common Era, 
We can see here that Paul, writing in the 60s of the Common Era, clearly put forward a divine Yeshua, who, like the Father, was pre-existent before the Incarnation. We can also see a reference to Yeshua as the second Adam in this verse. As I earlier brought out what Keener wrote, we have this here as the first Adam chose to eat the forbidden fruit that would make him like God, knowing good and evil, which we read about in Genesis chapter 3. Yeshua is the second Adam, in contrast, chose to lay aside his place as God to come into this world to live as a man. So again, we see this, this, this Adam connection to Yeshua coming into the world as the first Adam, the first man, was a human who, who through the deception of the serpent was offered to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and to become like God knowing good and evil. And he took that and entered into, into sin and rebellion against God. Yeshua, as, as contrast to the second Adam, was in the divine state, was one with the God of Israel. And he humbled himself and went from the divine state to the human state and showed, showed humility and showed the opposite of, of as Adam was a man seeking to be God. Yeshua was fully God, but he chose to become a man to come into our world to seek and to save those who are lost and to be the divine Messiah who would give himself for redemption for both Israel and for all those who put their trust in them from the nations. The second half of the verse teaches the eternal power and glory of the Godhood that Yeshua willingly set aside for his life on earth. We'll go back and just, just to read the verse, then we'll, we'll be closing with this, with this comment here. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God, something to be, to be possessed by force. In Philippians 2.6, must be understood. This is actually from, uh, from biblical scholar uh, Carson. And he writes, Philippians 2.6 must be understood to mean the Messiah's equality with God was not something he exploited. That is, such equality was such intrinsically his, but so great was, was his humility and subservience to the will of his Father that he chose not to exploit it, but took the path of humiliation, incarnation, and death on a cross. So in this, we, we, we get a picture that here that Yeshua, in his great humility and his great subservience to the will of the Father, to the will of, of the one God, that he chose not to exploit, though he had, he had all that he had as divine, but he chose not to use that, not to exploit that, 
in our world, but he came in the world in humiliation. He came in, in human flesh and he died the death of a slave, the worst death possible, the death on the Roman stake. So this this is this is a powerful verse that begins this this uh, this hymn, these six powerful verses that talk about Yeshua coming to our world as a as a servant, as a slave, humbling himself, emptying himself of his of his 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 uh, divine attributes that he he put aside to be in this world. His death on the Roman cross as a slave, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the heavenlies, and as we will read in chapter eleven, his his acknowledgement as Lord of all creation. One day when he returns, that the one who who came into the world in the most as a baby and later to die the death of a Roman slave will one be acknowledged by everyone who has ever lived by those those both those physical and and non-physical beings the whole of the created order will acknowledge the messiahship and lordship and divine nature of yeshua our righteous messiah so with this we'll be closing for today this is the first of six verses in the messianic hymn and today we looked at the first verse, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. And it's always important to have the public reading of Scripture. So before we conclude today, I'll read through our, our verse again. And tomorrow at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, 10 p.m. Jerusalem time, we'll be looking at verse 7, which continues the hymn. But again, as we looked at today, verse 6 reads, Though he was the form of God, he, Yeshua, did not regard equality with God, something he possessed by force. The powerful words about our Messiah coming into our world humbly as an example to us of what true humility is, that he was willing to set aside the glory of heaven to enter into the world, to die the, the worst death that man had at that time, the death of the Roman cross. So again, we'll be looking at verse 7 of chapter 2 tomorrow. And I appreciate everyone who watched live today. And as always, I will be posting this to our uh, website, lettertophilippi.org. Just go to our, our, uh, our front page, click on the teachings, teachings link, and that will take you to all of our previous videos. We've been, this is now the beginning of our, our third week that we've been going through the book of, of Philippians. So we have, we have what, there's four, there's about, about eight or nine videos that are already on at letter to philippi.org. And again, as I said, you know, if you'd like to leave a prayer request, you can do that on our website. If you'd like to make a donation, you can do that too. If you want to find out more information on what we believe and what we're planning to do, just go to letter to philippi.org. And as I said, we'll be, working on developing new materials for you. As I said, we have the Messianic Jewish book reviews coming up soon that will be, that I'll be reviewing various books on 
on the Jewish understanding of Yeshua, on the books on the the uh, the uh, the the in Judaism perspective on Paul, and other books that are relative to building a Messianic Jewish theology for the 21st century. So again, thank you for watching. And uh, as I said, you want more information, go to letter to philippi.org and blessings for today and see you tomorrow at noon PM Pacific time. Again, our videos are up later in the afternoon. If you miss this one or you can watch it on, it will be posted on our, on, uh, our sites is available on uh, on Facebook and also it'll, I will put, put put this onto IGTV. So thank you for watching and look forward to seeing you tomorrow.